Thank you, uh, everyone, for being here for Hawkeyes Live. We come your way each and every Tuesday here with Corey Bradda from the Hawkeye of the Storm. So before we continue on with the football, um, Corey, I know you wanted to uh, recognize and, and honor uh, part of your Hawkeyes community uh, that um, we received some sad news on this week. Yeah, and it was actually last week that it, it happened. I, my heart goes out to uh, the Lux family over in Carroll. And if anybody doesn't know, Carroll is, uh, what, about an hour uh, west of us here in Ames. And uh, I know that their story has been uh, widely publicized, been very public. Uh, they're big Hawkeye fans. Um, and the story of uh, young Bailey Lux, along with her mom, Renee, has been talked about. Uh, I know the local newspaper over in Carroll did a story about them i won't try to summarize that story but i would encourage you to search renee and and bailey lux iowa and you'll find that story um renee lux uh, bailey's mom passed away last week and um, leaves behind her children and family uh her and her daughter bailey have been battling cancer for many months now and um, my heart goes out to them bailey and 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 her siblings and family they, they're in my prayers um and I know Bailey views, uh, based on what I see from her on social media, she views Patrick McCaffrey, who's also a cancer, cancer survivor, to be a big inspiration for her. Um, I know she's uh, spent some time with uh, a number of football players on the team, uh, Iowa men's basketball players, and I just hope that that, that family continues to uh, be able to be built up by the community and by, by the Hawkeye community. So not much you can say other than uh, we're thinking about you, Bailey, and, and the whole Lux family and the Carroll community um, because uh, we're, we're just so sorry this has happened. But uh, we're, we're, we're there for you as much as we can be in our in our position. Yeah, it's kind of difficult to go on from there, but I'll just add for anyone uh, in the chat, certainly follow up on um, that story. Uh, to become more familiar. And um, certainly if there's any way that uh, we find out that, that um, you can support, uh, we will pass that on uh, here. And I'm sure Corey will, of course. Absolutely. And I'm not, that's, that's something that I did not do. And, and maybe I can reach out during the show and see if we can get a, a link to post. If there is a link um, for a GoFundMe, I, I don't know if there is at this point. Um, so it just puts things in perspective. I, you know, it's, 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 I hate saying that, but that's the reality of it. We've been talking about the Lester hire and, and Iowa football, and some people are upset about the hire. And, you know, grand scheme of things, none of it matters. <laughs> none of it matters when you talk about um, these these things that are occurring and, and family and life. And it's just, uh, you know, it leaves you without a whole lot to say, but it leaves a hole in your heart and the hearts of a lot of um Iowans that are that are dealing with tragedy and with loss and with with grief so it is what it is yeah it's a uh it's a balancing act i i guess that i struggle with from time to time and and we've had you and i have had these conversations uh several times uh, when there have been uh occurrences like this tragedies like this uh i have a good friend who is doing well but um he was diagnosed with uh, cancer several months ago, has been receiving treatment. He seems to be fine at this point. I have another friend who had a stroke just the other day. I was 
sent a text on Friday. And so fortunately I've followed up with him, had a couple conversations with him since, and he's out of the hospital, but uh, yeah. And then you, then you draw back. And of course, this is uh, our livelihood in terms of uh, discussing football, analyzing it for you, uh, football, basketball, and, and also have uh, uh, your news responsibilities in business. Uh, so to to balance the well, yes, this is a business and to be taken seriously. But at the same time, let's let's understand. Uh, yeah, we want our football teams to win, but it really doesn't matter. Yeah, and and then, and Patrick McCaffrey's gotten a lot of flack um, for you know maybe not playing the best. He's dealt with some injuries this year. His minutes have kind of waned. But you're not going to convince me for a second that Patrick McCaffrey isn't a hero to Bailey Lux and that family. You know, that, that's just those are the stories that you, you love to hear. And, uh, you know, talk about being strong, uh, you know, the the months. And the, I know it's been, I think, at least the year last year plus for the record. I don't know the Lux family personally. I, I simply know about the story. And so I've kind of tried to follow the, their story on social media. And like I said, they're not far down the road on Highway 30 down in Carroll. But, um, you know, that battle is something that nobody else can understand unless you've been through it and so um you know uh it, it's it's just one of those things like you said mark this is our livelihood but it, it just helps to kind of let you eat a, a slice of humble pie and, and try to see the bigger picture if you've forgotten for a moment so we'll just leave it at that but again to the lux family my heart goes out to you and our our hearts go out to you so we do move on to the business of the week and that is the naming of an offensive coordinator and of course head on over to from the hawkeye of the storm and check out Corey's uh live stream last night with coach don patterson uh complete breakdown there we will continue the discussion here um at one point uh kevin johns and tim lester were considered those serious candidates uh that it came down to um just on the surface, I posted a video last week and I, I did not get an opportunity to then extend that analysis to Tim Lester's career, but I cut a video on Kevin John. So I at least looked at uh, his work and at that point hadn't done the deep dive on, on Tim Lester. Certainly, uh, you knowing the Hawkeye offense much better than I, and then also having researched these candidates and then having the long conversation with Don Patterson certainly have some perspective on uh, the Tim Lester higher. Absolutely. Um, I, I admitted on the show last night that um, there was a lot of information, a lot of reports, um, information from people that are usually very much in the know and mixed reports. Um, I was initially, I'll just run through this real quick. I was initially told on Friday night, late Friday night, that the expectation was that Kevin Johns was going to be the offensive coordinator that Saturday was going to be a day for negotiating. Saturday came and went, and on Sunday, we started to, to catch wind that perhaps this wouldn't be the call, and it sounds like Tom Cakert, HawkeyeReport.com, we had him on last night. He later informed me that he had been hearing the whole time that Tim Lester was the guy. Um, I can tell you that um, I know of a couple different players that have commented that Kevin Johns did tour the facility, met with some players, met with the coaches, and uh, they did not, those specific players that uh, that I heard from had not spoken with 
Tim Lester had not seen Tim Lester. So that's kind of the background as far as uh, it's it sounded like, and I even posted this to some of our premium subs over the weekend, it sounded like Kevin Johns was the guy. But based on some feedback we've gotten from Tom Cakert and Brad Heinrichs, that's not the case, um, that Tim Lester had been the odds-on favorite for a few days. So again, mixed messaging out there, but that's the latest. Um, and uh, like I said to Tom last night, I defer back to Tom because he is an insider. Um, I try to get information when I can, but this was information that came to me, was volunteered to me by someone I I trust who's been right a lot. And anyways, it doesn't really matter what happened because Lester is the guy. Iowa hasn't announced it formally yet. We don't have a salary yet, um, but I would anticipate we're going to get an announcement here in the next few days. And when that comes down, I would anticipate we maybe get a press conference. Tom Kakert had brought up the possibility that maybe Iowa is waiting until signing day because they're not going to have anything to talk about on signing day during a press conference, so to speak, because they don't have anybody that's going to be signing, but maybe use that as as an opportunity to hire Lester. Obviously they wanted this leaked. Like there were different things out there, but this has been leaked by a number of large national outlets that Lester is the guy. So we can trust that. I can tell you, if you missed the show with Don Patterson last night, he provides some great insight Um, because my first reaction Sunday, I'll be quite frank. My first reaction Sunday was, uh, I don't know, man. I look at the resume and I'm like, it, Syracuse wasn't very good when he was the OC, OC there. It's his only Power 5 uh, coordinating experience. Western Michigan had good years, but then they had a horrific year before he got fired. You know, And then he's been an analyst at Green Bay. But if you get some context, and I'm not going to run through all that right now, but if you go back to that show last night, listen to Don Patterson. Don coached with Scott Schaefer, who ended up being the head coach at Syracuse. So he knows Scott really well. Had a conversation with Scott. Don's talked to multiple people that know Tim Lester, and the reviews of Tim Lester have been basically uh, balanced and a a consensus. They've said he is a wonderful coach. He is a heck of a coach, etc. And they're excited about the hire. So that gives me, and I hope that gives fans, reason for optimism. And you can remain skeptical. Like, you're not a traitor to Hawkeye Nation if you remain skeptical about Kirk's ability to evaluate offensive coaches. All right? And I know some people that are upset because we asked Tom Kaker last night about who he thinks will be the next wide receivers coach. His answer was John Budmeyer. That don't make me very happy. That doesn't make Don Patterson very happy. Don went on the record and said, yeah, I don't think that's a great idea. Uh, John's never coached wide receivers. Now he was a quarterback as coached offense has called plays before he called plays for a year at Colorado, but he didn't play wide receivers, never coached wide receiver. Why can't they go after a guy who has played the position and who has coached the position? I don't have an answer for that. Other than what Tom has said that it sounds like Kirk is really comfortable with John Budmeyer. I think there's got to be a balance there, right? Kirk is the guy in charge. I get that, but there's going to be, there's, there should be a balance between, yeah, comfortability, but also resume. So based on what I've heard from Don Patterson, Scott Schaefer, it sounds like there's a good chance they hit they struck that chord with Tim Lester. But we have not gotten an official announcement about either. But it's, we've not really even gotten anything official on Judd Mudbuyer about what his role is going to be moving forward. I, I really hope it's not his wide receivers coach because that is a position Iowa desperately needs improvement. But it is what it is. Yeah, it's one of the worst units uh in the Big Ten, a wide receiver, and I just don't know why you wouldn't want to go out there and 
do your best to find somebody who could really galvanize the room, teach these guys better technique and develop these wide receivers, work with what you've got, then also have uh, a bit of a resume to go out there and be able to pull some better players out of the high school ranks. Yeah, Tim Lester's uh, metrics here offensively are, are pretty darn good. Uh, so he took over, of course, for P.J. Fleck. And so he certainly didn't carry through on the wins and losses, but he's not being hired as a head coach. He's hired as an offensive coordinator. But uh, that first season, they had the 21st rated rushing offense in the country, and they were number 25 in points per game and going six and six. And the next year they held across the board top 40 in the country, rushing total yardage points per game next season in 2019 across the board. Now the passing numbers have dragged a little bit behind, but still when you're in the top 30 in both total offense and in scoring again in 2019, I would like to see the defensive numbers because when you're posting top 25 to 30, total offense and scoring figures and going six and six, seven and six must mean the defense is letting you down. Uh, the COVID year, they only played six games, but finished a ninth in the country in scoring at 41.7 points per game. Uh, 2021, another top 35 finish in points per game. They were 12th in the country in total offense in 2021. Wow. That's according to the the chart that I'm looking at here, I'm going to double check that one. And then the final season there in 2022, um, they, they bottomed out at uh, bottom 15 in the country in scoring and bottom 10 in total offense. Although they, they only won one or two less games at five and seven than what they were producing before that. But again, if you go back and, and again, I, I don't have it all in front of me. I have not had time to do my due diligence on this hire as of yet. I want to do my own research in addition to what Don Patterson and, and Tom were able to provide last night. But the context for the bad record at Syracuse where they went 5-14 and 14 with him on staff and the poor finish to his tenure at Western Michigan have to be put into context. I don't remember if it was Syracuse or if it was Western Michigan where he was down to like his fifth string quarterback or something insane. Um, he had been just ransacked at the, at the quarterback position. Anyways, context is is important. And I have heard nothing but good things about his character, about who he is as a person. Um, sounds like he can recruit. They've had some success with some wide receivers at Western Michigan under his guidance. I don't know where I'd rate this higher yet. I mean, I'm certainly not going to rate it right now because I, I have to do my, my own research uh, before I'm even close to, to uh, coming to that conclusion. But um, I feel a lot better than I did two days ago because I, I was, I'm like a lot of the fans out there. I looked at Kevin John's resume and got pretty excited. And for the record, I don't think Kevin John's would have been a bad choice either. Now I was not there in the interview process. It doesn't scare me away. The fact that Mike Elko didn't bring him to Texas A&M with him. Um, but, um, you know, the fact of the matter is Kirk went with Lester and the Packer offense. He got a year with uh, Matt LaFleur. That's got to be good experience, I would think. He's been an analyst for them. He's been a defensive analyst. But basically, he's talked about this. I listened to his interview here the other day where he talked to some 
the media folks back at Kalamazoo about what he's doing uh, at uh, Green Bay, he's basically been helping the defense understand what the opposing offense is going to be doing. So it's kind of an interesting job. And he talked about how there's not many senior analysts anymore in the league. Uh, but at Green Bay, they they have that position open. So, or they had that position open. So anyways, um, yeah, well, I mean, what kind of a, Mark, you, you can, we can spitball this. We don't need to dive deep into the numbers right now, but you want to spitball? Where do you think, how big of a jump can Iowa make? Uh, you know, knowing his resume, he's got a track record of, of, producing some solid offenses. He's a former quarterback. He obviously understands the passing game. He's had good rush offenses during his tenure. He's been a successful head coach at a group of five program, and now he's coordinating an offense exclusively. You know, not with the wide receiver position, notwithstanding, not knowing what they're going to be doing with the wide receiver coach. This offense was like 130th out of 131 teams or whatever it was over the last couple of years. How big of a jump should we anticipate or expect in the first year under a guy like Lester? So similar to you, I'm not going to jump on here and say that's a home run hire. He's going to kill it. That was the hire to make. He was the guy. Nor am I going to say this was a terrible hire. I think that he's had reasonable success. Uh, He's been a FPS coach in the Mac for five years. He went 37 and 32. I didn't look at his conference record, but considering Mac schedules and what they do outside the conference in regards to scheduling, they usually have better conference records than non-conference records. So I'm sure he finished better than that within the Mac. So that's as a head coach. And then the offenses, you know, the Syracuse stint, that was almost 10 years ago, plus actually somewhere in the range of 10 years ago, 2013, 14, 15, Um, So I'm relying more on the Western Michigan offense there. Some of the numbers I just read off, I compared those that I was taking off an SB Nation post versus the college football stats, and they don't seem to be jiving exactly, but they're close. Um, So I would put it this way, that if he can't produce or they can't produce, meaning he needs support, You know, he needs the other position coaches to do their job. He needs support from Kirk to allow him to, and certainly within the confines of what they want to do overall as a team with with the complementary football approach, uh, but allow him to run the offense, that they can't have the 80th or 85th ranked offense in the country this year. Somebody last night said top 70. And I said, I think that's a huge jump. I think going from 130th to one, to, to 70th is a huge jump. I think if they can get inside the top 100, they give themselves a chance to win 10 games. Even with the new schedule, if this defense is a top 5, top 10 defense again, I think it's got a chance to be that with the returns of Jay Higgins and Nick Jackson and Jamar Harris and these guys. Now, if they're, if they're top 70... Then, then you're talking about competing for the 12 team playoff. And I'm, I'm saying that with a totally straight face. They are. I mean, it, it, that's a huge jump, Mark. That's that's a massive jump. So I don't know. I, I mean, um, I'm excited to talk with Tim Lester. I'm excited to hear how he plans to address the offense moving forward. I'm excited to hear about his theory on 
waist downs. <laughs> I'm really excited to hear about what he plans to do with the quarterback position. He's got a history of running a lot of RPO. How, you know, how much is Kirk willing to let him integrate, you know, the run pass stuff? Uh, that'll be interesting to see. Um, how, how much of a, an open uh, book is Kirk allowing Tim to operate in? We'll see. This is ironic. I just looked up the 70th ranked offense in total offense this past season. That is Wisconsin, who averaged just about 145 yards more per game than Iowa. 145 yards more. You know, you're looking at 234 and adding 147. You're looking at increasing your offensive production by like 60 or 70 percent. That's what I'm saying. Like, I I don't think like if they end up being 90th in the country or 95th in the country in offense this next year, I think that's kind of a success. I mean, it depends on what it looks like on the field too. I guess, but like, I I think that if we're just talking total offense, I think top. 100 top 90 is reasonable. I think top 70 would be shooting for the stars. Can you imagine if they go top 50? <laughs> can you imagine? I don't anticipate that happening, Mark, but can you imagine? And and frankly, with the RPO, people have brought this up last night. I think it's a fair topic. Who fits into the RPO system the most of Iowa's quarterbacks? Probably Marco Linez. <laughs> I mean, we saw what he did late in that bowl game you know, against Tennessee. Can they get that arm reeled in? I would think, Tim, this next spring is going to be so important. So important. Because Cade McNamara is likely to be out. Who will they give the majority of the one snaps to? Don and I have both been an advocate for give those one snaps to Marco Linez. Um, Especially with the new system. I, again, we don't know what it's going to look like. They're not going to be spreading everything out like some people want them to, but uh, you, you, I just don't know how you run anything close to the Lester system with Deacon Hill. And there was talks about you know Deacon Hill slimming down. I'm sure he's working on that right now, especially since we're in the middle of winter conditioning. But man, I, I just think uh, I think this is an op- excellent opportunity for Marco Linez and James Rezar, who's coming in here later this year, to be the future of Iowa quarterbacking. Not saying we forget about Cade McNamara. Not saying he won't be the starter this year. But I'd like to see, I'm curious to see what Tim Lester can do with a couple of really athletic mobile quarterbacks. By the way, both of those quarterbacks I just named, Linez, who just got here last year, and Rezar, who's getting there this year, I would argue that those are the two most athletic quarterbacks Iowa has had since Brad Banks. I really do believe that. I think both of those guys are more athletic than anybody Iowa's had at quarterback since Brad Banks. They're fast and they're elusive. Is basically what you're telling us. Well, <laughs> and and those are two those two qualities have been non-existent from Iowa Iowa starters at quarterback for I mean even go back like I cherished Nate Stanley's years at Iowa. Don't get me wrong, but I am to the point, and maybe not all fans reflect this, but I am to the point where I'm kind of tired of just why I'm, I'm tired of it. Even if you get. Like Tom Brady back there. Like, obviously, Tom Brady's won a lot of games. I'm not saying you wouldn't want to, if you knew you could win a bunch of games with a guy who sticks in the pocket the whole time. But the reality of that is it's hard to win that way now. 
And I'm just tired of seeing it. I, I don't want to see another Ricky Stanzi. I don't want to see another Nate Stanley. I don't want to see another Deacon Hill. And I sure don't want to see another Spencer Petrus. All right. Um, and man, uh, you got to go against the grain at some point. Would it be going against the grain to end up starting a second year guy over a, what is a fifth or sixth year quarterback in Cade McNamara? Yeah. But this is also a Cade McNamara who I fear is going to be very immobile. Coming off two serious knee injuries, he wasn't all that mobile before. He was, you know, he could escape if he needed to, but he's not some great athlete. Okay. And I don't think anybody claims that he is. This is what happens all the time. This is what happens basically every Tuesday is we get into these conversations. And then I think of all these off season kind of topics that I want us to dig in. And I'm going to start to keep a list and I'm going to shoot some topics to you during the week and say, do you want to hit this one? Do you want to hit this one? And the last one that I just thought of when you started naming all those names, ranking Iowa's quarterbacks during the Kirk Ferentz era. Ooh, We're can we do, do that, that one next week? Can we do that next yeah, week? Yeah, let's do it next week. I'll work on that this week. That's a great idea. I will as well. I will bring something to the table. Now, if they would raise the points production from where they sat last year at next to last in the nation, just over 15 points per game to number 70, they would be sitting with UCLA at 26.5. So that's another 11 points. I think they can do that. I said to Don, Don made the comment. I asked him about points per game last night. Neither of us agree. Neither of us believe that that is the perfect way to measure an offense. And believe me, I'm going to trust Don Patterson's knowledge as it relates to evaluating an offense but if we're just talking points per game i think what brian was supposed to be shooting for this past year would be a pretty good mark to aspire to or for and that's the 25 points per game and where would that put them you said 20 26 points per game would put them around 70 26.5 was number 70 what would 25 25 even where would that rank where would that have ranked this year had they scored 25 points per game 82 bingo there's my there is my goal if I'm Iowa and anything past that I'm not saying that they're going to put that up on the bulletin board or that's what Lester is going to be focusing in on I think that'd be foolish quite frankly to be you know the goals to be stats but progress with this offense will be reflected with stats that's the divide that we have we got to stop acting like you evaluate an offensive coordinator by how many wins and losses the team has that's not how this works okay I just uh, that's just such a tired narrative that was created to fit a particular situation that was dysfunctional. And yes, people that watch football and you watch every play of every game. I watch just about all the big 10 games plus the Iowa state game. You start with the statistics. That's where you start. Sometimes I get criticized for leaning on the numbers too much. Well, that's where you start. They're typically accurate. Then you start to put things into context the difficulty of the schedule, the flow of each game. You know, if they're winning a game 20 to nothing with their defense or 20 to three, they don't have to, you know, sure, they're they're calling off the horses in the second half and not running an offense and not trying to move the chains and get first downs and score points. You take all of that into context. That's, you, you have to be able to interpret uh, the numbers and what I think when you look at the total yardage figures, both offense and defense, and especially offense, I think if you take the top, the very top and the very bottom, those are the most accurate because there's not a team scoring 45 points in the game that's 
that's that's not a great offense and they have all these other variables helping them score. The top end where it's usually Ohio State and Oregon and LSU and all these, they're just great on offense. And the the very bottom, they're just horrible on offense. That, that happens to be. Now, the, there's a lot of variation. And sure. if you just add on five points for any one of these teams that are in the middle section, it inflates or deflates your ranking considerably. And there's all sorts of factors involved there. How good your field goal kicker is, your punt coverage, your defensive course, the style of play, what kind of games you're in. Are you controlling the game? Are you behind all the time? Whatever. I have a question for you. Can, can I ask my question, Mark? Of course. Okay. Uh, is I, and you just have to give me a yes or a no to start. Is Iowa a contender for the college football playoff in 2024? Yes or no? Yes or no? Can I see the schedule? Absolutely. We're going to look at the schedule. Okay. Yeah, let, let me share, I, I don't me, remember me, the schedule off the top of my head. Let, let me share. I, I And I bring this up because now that we've got an OC hired, I think it's a fair discussion to be had. We don't know exactly what the offense is going to look like. But let's talk about the expanded Big Ten. So here's here's the schedule. Uh, I'll blow this up, get a little bit bigger for people. So it starts with a, a home date against Illinois State. Okay. They'll be at, at home. Oh, we don't need to make our picks right now, right, Mark? But they get Iowa State at home. They'll be favored in that game, more than likely. They get Troy at home, tricky game, but favored. Unlike what my, your boy Mike Fort tried to convince us, Iowa is not going to be the underdog against Troy at home. <laughs> yeah, that's not how this works. Um, then they play at Minnesota. Mark, uh, I'm going to rely on you for insight on on a couple of these teams. Minnesota, what have they lost a lot? I don't know much about the attrition that the Gophers have suffered from this offseason. Well, they lost their quarterback to Rutgers, Ethan Kalki Manis. So he's willing to get into a quarterback battle against Gavin Wimsat rather than stick around Minnesota, which kind of surprises me. They bring in a quarterback from New Hampshire who our, our buddy Daniel House is high on. Okay. Uh, but their defense was not of Minnesota standard last no, year, not. and that's for sure. Wow, no, it's not. So, and, uh, and, and Iowa wants them back. Like, remember how bad that defeat was at home, and sure. how they lost. I mean, I know Cooper DeGene won't be playing in this game. How did they lose? Yeah. I don't remember that. You don't remember the, how they lost? <laughs> <laughs> You're being sarcastic. Uh, so they should want them back. Now, I don't know if they'll be favored in that game. But this is a game that they'll have, I'm sure, marked in the calendar, and it's a rivalry game. At Ohio State, it's going to be very difficult to expect a win. Um, you know, Ohio State average, uh, adds Will Howard. Um, they're going to be really good as they always are. Mark, you're an Ohio State guy. I mean, can you really derive any optimism about a, a date on the road in Columbus? Well, I, I give Iowa a lot of respect. I think they could go anywhere and and put up a fight and win. So I, I don't want to just check that off. But well, Ohio State's loaded. They are my goodness. I'll they tell you. they had NFL draft decisions go their way almost all of them, except for the ones that were just slam dunk. Like these guys all came back that could have played in the NFL this year. Plus, they are going crazy in the transfer portal. 
So I guess the point is I'm going to assume that's a loss. All right. I'll tell you where, where that discussion, this discussion about Iowa's playoff chances comes to reality or fantasy. And it's games like the one on October 12th. Yep. The one, the one on October 19th, like, Neutral field against a Washington team that's coming off a trip to the national championship, but lost a lot. All right. They have lost a significant amount. Now they got what's his face back. Uh, you know, obviously lost their head coach, but who's the guy that uh, was going to leave and then decided to come back? Uh, quarterback Will Rogers. Will Rogers. So they get yeah. Rogers back. I don't know what he'll look like. I don't know what Washington is going to look like next year, Mark. I was, I was a better team. I'm going to say this right now, and of course, I I reserve the right to change my mind that Iowa's a better team than Washington in 2024. So if you win that game, you're sitting with one loss. What's Michigan State going to look like? That game's in East Lansing. It's it's probably not going to be an easy affair, but they've got a new head coach. And, I mean, do you have any insight on the Spartans? Well, they've got a new head coach and he brought his quarterback with him and not the starting quarterback. He brought a guy that a lot of rating services, 247 included, rated as the uh, most talented transfer quarterback, Aiden Childs, but he's very inexperienced. Michigan State, Jonathan Smith's a really good coach. They're going to be better, but they're not as good as Iowa. But then again, when you started off with the Minnesota comment about whether Iowa was going to be favored in the in the Troy game. I almost shot back, but then I bit my tongue because we're talking about Iowa. We're not talking about anyone else because I almost shot back with how can you be a college football playoff contender and not be a favorite against Minnesota and Troy? But this is Iowa. It's just a little different. Yeah, they're going to play a lot of close football games again. But an improved offense will help them, should help them compete in more of those games. As long as Kirk Ferentz is here, they're going to play in a lot of close games. And Iowa fans shouldn't have a problem with that, per se, because that is a brand that I think has gotten them to where they're at. But like I say, Washington, Michigan State, those are the games that, like, say you go 2 0 during that stretch, that is season defining because then you have a very winnable game against an improved Northwestern team, but it's at home. And then a game back at home against Wisconsin that should be improved. But again, you, you get a rivalry back in, in uh, Kinnick. I'm going to have to see the rest of the schedule to see who else they, they play, who's outside of the traditional uh, Western division for me to make this comment. If this were 2023 and before, that Ohio State game would be important for this reason. Not that they would win the game, but that they would compete because there would be that thought or that uh, perspective out there that, okay, they went to Columbus, they got whacked by 40 points, and now they can go back to the Big Ten West and hide and win their 13 to 10 games for the next five or six weeks. But that is no longer really in play. So I, I think it is important to how well they play Ohio State, even if they lose the game. Let me ask you this, and I know it's, this is not, it's going to be harder and harder to have these types of conversations with a 12 team playoff. But if you had to predict with this schedule, with the conference, if Iowa goes 10 and 2 next season, are they in the playoff? Yes. Okay. So if they're in the playoff at 10 and 2, what are the chances they're in the playoff at 9 and 3? About 30%. That's, I mean, <laughs> given what Iowa has done lately, Mark, like I know yeah. that the, the schedule gets tougher. Yes, the schedule gets tougher, all right? Got a new offensive coordinator. I don't know. Like, I, I well, think look the at it this way. Goal. 
as soon as the Big Ten schedule was released, this is how I I slice it up, and this is just how I I analyze things. I basically took every team in the Big Ten, but specifically the Western Division teams, and said, okay, this is what a standard schedule looks like currently, and now let's transfer it and see what games are being replaced with what games to see how much more difficult this schedule is. So Iowa is playing how many teams from the the current East? Ohio State, Maryland. Michigan State. Michigan State. Three. So they're only playing one more. No, they're only... No, they're only playing one more than they used to. Yes, correct. Yeah. One more than they used to. Yes. So look at it this way. They let's say they're replacing. Let's say they this would be a season. They're playing Ohio State and Maryland. They're replacing Michigan State, Washington and UCLA for the three teams that they are not going to play in the former Big Ten West. Well, hold on a second. They played, th- they played three crossovers. In the former Big Ten West. Oh, what am I thinking of? I'm thinking of every other conference in America. Okay, so so that you're basically then just supplanting UCLA and Washington with whomever they don't play out of the previous Western Division. Well, that, that that's that? significant, though. That's and Illinois and Purdue, the, right? No. Uh, yes, it's Illinois, and uh, you got it, Purdue. So, so there it is. They're replacing Purdue and Illinois with UCLA and Washington. At yeah. UCLA, home Washington, and that East schedule is at Ohio State, at Michigan State, and at Maryland. Mm. What do you mean? Mm. Three three road trips? The, well, they're three road East? trips, but that's pretty balanced in terms okay. of playing oh, the upper balanced. division, the lower division. Okay. Well, you know, it's not like you're loading up with all three or two of the three difficult teams over there. And it's also balanced the simple fact <laughs> that it is across the board this way. Like this is this is how the schedule shapes up for basically all Big Ten teams. And that's what I appreciate about how the, the new modern revised Big Ten schedules are are orchestrated, is they're orchestrated organized for balanced purposes. So, I mean, in case you missed that, last three, if you're listening on the audio version later, last three games of the year at UCLA, at Maryland, and home Nebraska. And any one of, like, there aren't, here's one thing that I would say about the schedule, Mark. This might be the first year where I'm looking through the schedule and I'm thinking there are no automatic wins after the non-conference. None. Like, not that there are, I know Kirk would never admit that there are automatic wins, but in a lot of years, home against Northwestern, home against Illinois, you know, those are pretty much wins. Home against Indiana. I mean, what are their yeah. easiest games in the Big Ten? Home against Northwestern? I mean, Northwestern just went, what, nine and four? Eight and five, but yeah. Eight and five. And then, you know, okay, home against Nebraska. And who knows what the Cornhuskers are going to look like by Black Friday, second year under Matt Rule. I mean, they may not yeah. be very good. They may be the most vulnerable team on the schedule, but we don't know that. Um, and Wisconsin didn't look all that great, and they finished what eight and four or eight and five. Iowa is missing a lot of the very worst in the Big Ten, but they're also missing the very best of the Big Ten. There's no Michigan, no USC, no Penn State. There's also no Purdue, Illinois, Indiana. There's no Oregon. There's no Oregon. Yeah. So so they're <laughs> they're they're doing okay on top. And uh, for people that don't watch me on a regular basis, uh, I'll just back up the 10 and two versus nine and three in that I'm not just 
spitballing that. Like I've looked through the last 15 years and especially the last 10 years are credible because there were actual playoff rankings submitted by the committee, of course, to say, okay, how would this translate to the 12 team playoff? And I've gone through again about 15 years and 10 and two guarantees you are going to be in the playoff nine and three. Yeah. Most of these teams are left out, but not this is where the schedule would come into play and, and the, the impressive or lack thereof nature of the games in terms of wins and losses. This is going to take some time for fans to get used to the term playoff because it's totally, when you expand from four to 12, it's not like expanding the NCAA tournament from 64 to 68. It totally changes how we view the postseason. And I think in a good way, some people would say it makes the regular season less consequential. I couldn't disagree more. I've never understood that line of reasoning, Mark, that we want a smaller playoff because it, it makes games in the regular season that much more important. When teams get one or two losses or when they got one or two losses, you, you could argue those the rest of the schedule didn't mean anything at that point under that frame of logic. So why would you not want more teams competing for potential playoff spots late in the year? And that's what you have now with the 12-team playoff. So when people make that claim about it lessening the regular season and making it meaningless, they're right about 10% of the time. And you and I and the people that fight for it makes the regular season more meaningful are right about 90% of the time in this way. The first batch of games, there will be games that are going to be rendered somewhat meaningless that would have been crucial to a team reaching the playoffs in a four-team model because the teams are so good that it doesn't matter. That Ohio State and Michigan are 11-0 and at the end of the season and the loser is still in the playoff. Those kind of games. But when, uh, we, when we think about that logically, Mark, do we really want a scenario? Is it a healthy scenario to have a one-loss Ohio State team? One game they lost this year keeps them out of the playoff. I think that's ridiculous. But again, going back to the other side of that argument, I guess it puts a, a great importance on a de facto quarterfinal matchup between Michigan and Ohio State. I get that. Yeah, so the point I'm making is there are going to be a handful of games, depending on the season, where you can just say they're the number one team in the country. They don't need to win their last game of the season. This is a meaningless game for them where everything would have been riding on the line or they were a one-loss team that couldn't lose this, that could lose a second game as opposed to dozens of games, dozens and dozens of games across the country now have meaning. Correct. When Iowa's 7-2, and two, in week 10, and they are playing an eight and one USC team two years from now. That game's going to be mammoth. Whereas if I was seven and two, they're not making the playoff, a 14 playoff, they're done. They're not going. And, and I understand, I think some people look at it from the, the perspective of we don't want college football to turn into what college basketball is. Or the I mean, NFL. Love, well, or the NFL, but I mean, like a lot of people love the college basketball regular season and the NFL regular season. Um, I'm infatuated with college basketball throughout the year. And if there's a team that's, you know, near 500 that has a chance to play their way into the NCAA tournament during conference championship week, so be it. I'm excited to watch it. I, I just have never understood that line of thinking that we want to just quickly eliminate teams. If we have that line of reasoning, why don't we just have a single elimination 
playoff at the very start of the year? Why play the regular season at all? If we just want every game to be uh, quintessential, then just make it single elimination from week one on. And you can just slowly, you just have one big playoff. You could just have the playoff start in week one. <laughs> well, we are going to possibly run into, unless the, the power brokers in this sport are broken up, we can we we are looking at possible rematches in third games and i don't know how that well that's going to sit with people but well but i'm willing to put up with the rarity of that happening versus the benefit well it's not going to be rare with ohio state and michigan right that's not going to be rare i think it's going to be weird i think it's going to be strange i don't know what to think about it frankly I, I don't know what the solution is. I think the most the, the most reasonable solution from a non-Ohio State Michigan fan is why don't you just play the game in early October? But I'm guessing a lot of Michigan fans and Ohio State fans don't want to do that. I get it. I get it. No. It's it's part of the culture of the game, but yeah. who wants to see that game back to back year after year? But I also don't know that it, I, I don't know that you can say that with the quality of teams entering this conference. Exactly. I don't know how often that's yes. going to happen. Yes. But boy, it would have happened a lot over the past. How many years would it have happened here? Well, they would have played three straight. Yeah. The so. last three years. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I think also not to, to get off the Iowa track, but then in situations like that, there's also uh, a fear that a team's going to enter that game having already reached the conference championship game, even with a loss, therefore you've taken away their incentive to win what's supposed to be the biggest game of the year. Cause they're going to have to play those guys next week. Anyway, exactly. like you say, with the four new teams entering the big 10, that should break up the power and dis, uh, distribute the power a little bit more evenly. There are other rivalries that last week. So without divisions, like Iowa plays Nebraska, I'm not saying they're ever going to be top of the conference, but that is there, right? That it, you the potential for a back to back. Can you imagine Iowa, Nebraska in twenty twenty four play for the Big Ten championship? USC, UCLA is the yeah, UCS, USC and UCLA aren't those? Isn't that game played the last week of the season? That's a little bit more reasonable. Every other year, yes. Okay, what's the other one? Every other year. Every other year. That's the last game of the season. It's very odd, but when Notre Dame travels to USC, they play the last game of the season. Okay. So there are other, maybe it's going to be uh, uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin. Maybe that will be the rematch, or uh, is it Northwestern Illinois? <laughs> you need to bring Northwestern Illinois. You need to bring Steve Dace on here because he just thinks that he's got a list of teams that are basically locked out of the big 10 championship game. I, I made the comment to someone last night. I said, it's probably like, could I see Iowa never winning another big 10 championship? Never is a strong word, but man, it's going to be pretty hard just to get there. I mean, I could see Iowa not ever making the big 10 championship game again, but making the playoff. But making the, that's what I'm saying. Like teams talk for so long. Coaches have talked about conference championships first. I don't think you do that anymore. Do you? I just don't think you can. I don't think that's fair to the players. You know, unless we want to have that as the hierarchy, like, Hey, our, our goal is a big 10 championship. And if eliminated from contention there, our next goal is the playoff. Like, 
man, I, I don't know. That'll be interesting to see. And I know there's some coaches that aren't so championship focused with their lingo, but um, man, the 12 team playoff, like you said, nine and three potentially get you in. We almost saw our first hint of this two years ago when Ohio State played Georgia in the playoff. If they would have made that field goal, won the national championship, then there would have been this, well, they didn't win the Big Ten. They didn't beat Michigan. They still won the national championship. So for programs like Iowa, I think Penn State is, they are the poster child for this. They they would have benefited the last 10 years more than any program in the country with a 12-team playoff. How many times would they have made the playoff if it was a 12-team playoff? Uh, 2016, 17, 19, 22. 23. That doesn't, mean they would have, that doesn't mean they would have won a national title, but boy, that's a lot of tries. Yeah, it's fascinating. It will be interesting. Yes, Iowa, they, they are a playoff contender. Well, I'll I'll take it from the, the source, from the voice of college football. So I, I and I agree. I agree. I mean, uh, but again, this spring is going to be so important. Um, for development specifically at quarterback, and we're still waiting an announcement, official announcement from Iowa on not only Lester, but on the the, the wide receiver coach um, to be because Kelton Copeland's out. So still things to follow. And then next week we're going to talk about uh, ranking the quarterbacks from the Kirk Ferentz era. So that yeah, should be fun. we'll mark that down. Everyone make it back. Uh, we will rank the Kirk Ferentz era quarterbacks at Iowa. So that'll be our first in a series of uh, – Special content here during the off season. Absolutely. I did, just, I did just add the um, link there for everybody. Mark's had it up on the screen for a while, but support the Lux family. Visit uh, the website, the link that's posted in the live chat. I also added it to the description of the video. So uh, please visit the Caring Bridge website and see how you can support Bailey and company. Corey, as always, uh, thanks for making this work. Uh, everyone catch Corey's work on a regular basis uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm, and we'll make it on back here next Tuesday at 4.30 Central.